Hello, and welcome to Wait, How Do You Spell That? A Rare Disease Podcast. My name is Colby, and I'm the content specialist here at Patient Worthy. For this episode of the podcast, we have a conversation between our managing editor, Alana Bean, and a disease advocate named Whitney Carter. This was recorded at the National Institutes of Health Rare Disease Week in February of 2020. Whitney was there representing the Lupus and Allied Diseases Association, a national nonprofit dedicated to improving education, support, and outreach services for people impacted by lupus and related diseases. Alana and Whitney discuss a range of topics, including the road to diagnosis, how multiple diagnoses presents unique challenges to rare disease patients, and the lengthy process of appealing treatment denials by the insurance industry. You will hear some background noise as this was recorded on site at Rare Disease Week, which is a busy time. If you'd like to share your own experiences as a rare disease patient or advocate, you can reach out to us through social media by searching for PatientWorthy on Facebook or Twitter, or you can get in touch with us online at PatientWorthy.com. We hope you enjoy the episode, and thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Alana, and this is Wait, How Do You Spell That?, a rare disease podcast by Patient Worthy. Today, we're at the NIH Rare Disease Day, and I'm joined by a special guest. Hi, I'm Whitney. Uh, How long have you been involved in rare disease advocacy? I got my first diagnosis when I was 14. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was a common disease I was diagnosed with called lupus, Mm -hmm. and then just from there they started finding weirder and weirder stuff that Mm -hmm. couldn't be explained as part of lupus, and so then I was diagnosed with brain involvement uh, Mm -hmm. when I was 17, and after that they found that it was a very specific autoimmune of the neurologic system called autoimmune autonomic ganglionopathy mm-hmm. and I was diagnosed with that two years ago. That is so especially I think with lupus where I think my first association with lupus like the first time I heard it was house which you probably get all yeah, the time because it was <laughs> yeah, yeah and like you know I like obviously I know more about it now than I knew when I started watching House at 14, but I feel like the the thing with House was that it can cause so many different symptoms that they were always considering lupus. Right. Yeah. That's part of what makes it hard to diagnose. It's not like a a single test. There's 11 criteria and you have to have at least four of them. Uh Uh-huh. So, and some of them are broad, you know, like one is ANA, it's an antibody, but a lot of people can get false positive mm-hmm. or uh, it's from some other autoimmune or there's a part of the regular population that has a positive test. Uh-huh. So it's a hard, a hard diagnosis. Yeah, there are a lot of, I feel like there's a lot of rare diseases where the diagnostic criteria, it's so blurry because it's like, we don't really know how to, we know it's here. We don't really know how to outline it. And so there's yeah. like all these people caught in the middle. It's, yeah, they call it the great mimicker because you, you can get fatigue from, like, every disease, and mm-hmm. um, so yeah. it's, it's hard. <laughs> yeah. I actually, I was at a conference for, I think this was periodic paralysis that was talking also about the word fatigue in the English language, it's used to refer to so many different states. So you can be tired in your body, you can be sleepy, and those are kind of two different experiences, and it's like Mm -hmm. hard to put language to these kind of different symptoms. So how is um, your newer diagnosis, like what differentiates it from your previous one? 
So they're both autoimmune mm-hmm. lupus. And then I think, so CNS lupus is just like, my lupus is attacking my ner- uh, central nervous system. So mm-hmm. um, I think that's the broader umbrella, but specifically, I'll just call it AAG because it's hard to say autoimmunopathy. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what's different with AAG is the specific part of my nervous system that's being attacked. It affects my autonomic nervous system. Mm-hmm. So that's the part uh, of your nervous system that you don't control. Mm-hmm. Things like heart rate, blood pressure, uh, your urinary tract, your digestive mm-hmm. tract, your pupils constricting and dilating, your sweating, mm-hmm. uh, breathing rate, things like that, that just your body automatically does. Uh, it's not like you're telling your arm to mm-hmm. move. Treating the lupus was not helping those symptoms. Mm -hmm. And when you already have another disease, uh, like, diagnosed, and you get these symptoms, if it's something broad like like lupus where you can get so many symptoms, all the symptoms I had, they're like, oh, it's just, it's all lupus. And so they weren't really looking for another diagnosis. They're just like, well, she's just not responding to treatment. Yeah. Or, you know, maybe maybe this is something else, or this is anxiety. Yeah, yeah. Uh, go see the psychiatrist. So I was in a wheelchair because I, I couldn't um, even walk to the bathroom without uh, passing out. And so I was, like, bedridden completely. I lost a lot of weight because I, I couldn't uh, eat food because uh, the digestive tract. Um Within two months of starting treatment, I was out of the wheelchair. Oh, wow. So having this specific diagnosis changed my life. And uh, actually, I'm the one that diagnosed myself. Yeah, I was about to ask. <laughs> yeah, I, I researched. And thankfully, I have like a... I love science. So mm-hmm. I can read all that stuff and not like get like worked up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I brought my doctor printout on symptoms, mm-hmm. which was very hard to find because uh-huh. when you search it online, like nothing comes up. Yeah. Uh, really? There's a few case studies. Uh, Dysautonomia International yeah. has a like a paragraph on it. Uh, so that's what I used because I had the diagnosis of POTS, mm-hmm. which is what got me there is because I, I had been on the Sodonomia International's page mm-hmm. and, and read that as a, as a cause. And I was like, hey, that sounds like me. Yeah. <laughs> so I brought it to him and he was like, yeah, that does sound like you. And he's an autonomic neurologist because mm-hmm. I was seeing him for POTS and he still didn't like he didn't know. And that's mm-hmm. what he specializes in. Oh, wow. In. So, I mean, it's just definitely not awareness, and there's, like, one specialist, and he's in Texas. Oh, wow. And I love my autonomic neurologist because he reached out to the doctor in Texas and asked about, like, how to treat me and recommendations, and, like, that just speaks to how awesome he is. Yeah, that is, like, because that is awesome because it's, like, you can't, like, obviously doctors are humans and they're not experts in everything, but, like, becoming an expert or, like, consulting an expert in, like, how to treat it instead of just referring back to what you usually do. That's a struggle. Sometimes it's hard for doctors to admit that they don't know everything. Yeah, especially, like, he's an autonomic neurologist. And, you know, he, he specializes in it. But have you seen the Texas doctor? I am planning to go see him, though. Uh, even though I'm, I'm doing better, mm-hmm. um, my insurance denied the treatment that got me out of the wheelchair and... 
So then I oh, went wow. downhill, yeah. and then I fought and got improved again, but I had gone downhill a lot, mm-hmm. and since restarting it, I'm not responding to the treatment super well anymore, mm-hmm. so I am going to go see him. I mean, not just to get new treatment, but I'm, I'm considering going to college there. Oh, so, cool. Um, That's exciting. Picking, picking somewhere to go, like a great medical center nearby is like a yeah, huge Yeah, yeah. And so when I saw that he was like 15 minutes away, I was like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like, why do you want to go there? I'm like, the world specialist in my disease is there. Yeah, that's a a great perk. Like, especially if you know you're already interested in school and put you in the right place. With the treatment, are there multiple aspects to it? Like, is there, is it one direct treatment? Is it an off-label treatment? Um, Like, what are the treatment options for it? There's not been no clinical trials like period yeah Um, when you look it up there'll be a few case studies Mm -hmm. Uh, so just like on like one patient uh, sometimes they'll report like oh there was five patients and so there's not a ton of data on it but uh, IVIG is the Mm -hmm. I would say the first line of treatment most people get that's the one I'm on and that's the one that my insurance denied there are other treatments as well and and so, like, rituximab or mm-hmm. plasmapheresis, um, but those kind of go for the root cause of the disease. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd say the majority of patients are on a lot of symptomatic treatments as mm-hmm. well. Like, I'm on two medications that raise my blood pressure mm-hmm. um, to keep me from passing out. A lot of people uh, have feeding tubes or mm-hmm. treatments to help with their uh, digestion, things like that. Also, you said um, your treatment uh, was denied by your uh, health insurance and you fought to get it back. Um, I know there's a lot of people who face similar problems. Yeah. Uh, How did you go about fighting them on it? Like, what what worked? (laughs) The phone people know my name. (laughs) Um, I'm privileged. Like, I am educated on the matter. Like, my parents are... um, I have great insurance, and that still happened to me. So uh, it definitely shined a light on something that happens to a majority of rare disease patients, which sucks. Depending on what state you're in, sometimes there's a government uh, thing in place that can help you. California, which is where I'm from, has an insurance review board. Well, so the first step is to appeal it. So they deny it, and your doctor appeals it. To, it's like a letter appeal first step. Appeal the denial, and then if they deny that again, typically with, like, visit notes, uh, kind of showing that you've improved. Uh, it would be different if you haven't been on it, but uh, I was on it, and it was helpful. So then it moved to... You can't appeal to the government for six weeks. You have to be in the appeal process for six weeks. And then you can do an application, and on that application to them, you attach, well, your visit notes, anything that shows it's been helpful for Mm -hmm. you, and or data showing that it's effective for people with your disease. Mm -hmm. Um, Because while it might not be FDA approved for your disease, if it's the... Uh, effective treatment for what you have, you know, you prove that to them. You show that mm-hmm. uh, it works for somebody else, or this study showed that it worked for these people, uh, if there are any studies. 
someone gave me this recommendation um, to like do email um, appeals, and you CC your congressman, senators, oh, attorney wow. general, um, kind of like call them out, right? Uh-huh. And you can call them out on social media too. Uh, I was reading, and there's a woman who. She went to the ER with severe abdominal pain, and they thought it was appendicitis. Mm-hmm. And so the insurance proved the uh, coverage, and they found out she had a, a ruptured ovarian cyst. Uh-huh. And so then they revoked coverage, and she had to pay out of pocket completely. The local newspaper wrote an article on it, and then it was immediately approved. Uh-huh. So, I mean, having other people on your side and, like, you can like strong arm them. Yeah, not yeah. Press. <laughs> how many hours do you think you spent on the phone, or how many phone calls do you think you made? Just, just the like insurance. eyeballing. Yeah. Um, I I was calling like probably every day for like two weeks, and then it became spending hours researching, trying to mm-hmm. get case studies and printing and I had to go through my uh a huge chunk of my medical record mm-hmm. to print proving oh here's the blood test with this here's mm-hmm. so so it was yeah it's, it's that's a like a full-time work. job like oh, I feel 100%. like people could hire you have to do that <laughs> like, <laughs> that's why there are like paid patient advocates yeah so like for people who get denied social security disability which mm-hmm. is a common thing too a lot of people don't have the energy, the health, or the education yeah. to fight it. So a lot of times they have to hire someone. No, um, you're also, I know you're friends with Anna, who yeah. we talked to earlier. Um, are you involved in our Odyssey or any other advocacy or patient organizations? Yeah, so uh, I met Seth and Anna both last year. So I wasn't part of founding, but I'd love mm-hmm. to be involved with it. I am involved in a few uh, nonprofits. Um, I work for one called the Lupus Foundation of Northern California, but uh, I'm here this week with one called Lupus and Allied Diseases Association. Mm-hmm. A lot of people with lupus or other autoimmune diseases run in packs, like you, mm-hmm. you get multiple. Yeah. And so my rare autoimmune disease, we consider that an allied disease. It's mm-hmm. just a rare one. So, uh, yeah, that's why I'm here at Rare Disease Week with them and uh, obviously every life foundation. Mm -hmm. You've been to Rare Disease Week before, right? Last year. Yes, last year. Um, Were you able to go to the Hill? Yes. Yeah, I was here for the whole week. And I actually stayed the weekend because the National Lupus Advocacy Summit was the next week. So I just stayed for two weeks. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's convenient. I feel like especially if you're like going across the country yeah and their staffers right that's they all saw me for Mm -hmm. this week and then I showed back up same thing (laughs) next week (laughs) it's funny I've been coming to Rare Disease Week for a few years and I always talk to the same staffer my representative it's like yep we're back again like he like it's funny he used to live um in Richmond where I live and he lives down the street from where I do and every year we just talk about the same taco place (laughs) (laughs) how has uh, managing the diseases like impacted um, like your like personal life and going to school and working. 
Loaded, loaded question. <laughs> I know, I know. I know. I'm going to take myself asking that because I'm like, you know, it's a... <laughs> no, no, it's a great question. Um, because I was diagnosed... Well, I got sick in probably junior high. Uh, mm-hmm. It was my first symptoms, I would say. Um, I was officially diagnosed when I was a freshman in high school. Mm-hmm. And then I was diagnosed with brain involvement when I was a junior and that came with the inability to read, um, wow. daily migraines. I had a lot of trouble talking mm-hmm. uh, and formulating sentences and processing things. My mom would have to write text messages for me too, oh, wow. uh, so that I could stay in contact with friends. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, with a chronic illness already, you lose a lot of friends because, you know, you can't go to a hangout yeah. and then you stop getting invited. So... When I, you know, couldn't even text my friends, yeah. you know, or be present enough to go through social media. Like, I was mentally checked out. Mm-hmm. So, I actually, so I started, I did plasmapheresis three times a week, followed by uh, chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. I did cytoxin and rituxin. And so, I actually had to withdraw from school. Mm-hmm. Um, so, they call it medically withdraw. Mm-hmm. So, I don't have to say I'm a high school dropout. Yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> Uh, but so that was uh, huge for yeah. sure. I went to community college the year after and was able to earn my high school diploma. But awesome. spent in and out of school and trying to force my life to look like what I think it's supposed to look like and mm-hmm. what like my peers' lives look like um, is just really hard and just yeah. makes me fail. Uh, mm-hmm. Honestly, like. As soon as I, two years ago when I came to, or not two years ago, like two years ago when I started, um, I started Chronic Illness Page, mm-hmm. uh, and then that following Rare Disease Week I, I came to D.C. was when I finally accepted, like, I can I can actually, like, live this out and, like, accept that this is a part mm-hmm. of my life, and, and I had been doing that, but holding back because I was like, well, I can't do this stuff because I'm going to move away to college. I started a support group where I live, and for seven years I wasn't doing it because I was like, well, I'm going to have to move away, so I won't be able to keep leading it. Yeah. So it, once I started, like, incorporating it in a positive way in my mm-hmm. life and stopped trying to, like, force myself into the cookie-cutter shape that mm-hmm. everyone else has, that's when I started to succeed. But, like, yeah, so stopped school, lost friends socially, dating, it's a whole yeah. other story because um, I've been on I've been on chemo. Mm-hmm. Um, I had my eggs frozen though, which mm-hmm. uh, I did after I'd been on chemo a little bit because I had to I had to wait till I was eighteen. So, but that's not something you drop on a first day. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it is. We were talking about this with Anna too earlier. Like, it's just like the dating thing. It's like I was like that needs its own podcast. Like, not a podcast episode, just a whole. Whole thing, like yeah, because right, and like, do I want my child to have those genetics too? Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. And then it's like, even if I do, like, I have uh, two clotting disorders, Mm -hmm. so like, uh, typically they're diagnosed when uh, a woman just has multiple miscarriages, and they're trying to find out why, and so. 
even if I like wanted to carry my own child, I probably couldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, be bad because I'd have to stop a ton of medications. Yeah. You know, if they weren't safe, and and then so that alone would be a problem. Yeah. I was um, your support group. Um, that's awesome that it like you started it. Um, is it mostly people with similar conditions? Does it is it a range or? Yeah, so I just labeled it chronic illness support group. Yeah. I have attended a lupus support group since I was 14. Uh, it was right when it started. But lupus is common. And the fact that, like, I, I have to drive an hour both ways to go to that support group. Mm-hmm. And that's a hard drive. Like, I couldn't yeah. drive when I started going to it. And then I was diagnosed with epilepsy. And then mm-hmm. I couldn't drive, period. So trying to find someone to take me there, take me home. Uber would be awful, expensive. Mm -hmm. It also wasn't really a thing at that point. Um, But I realized that, like, there's not support for rarer things. Like, even even stuff like POTS, which is, you know, now it's being recognized as a common Mm -hmm. thing. There aren't, like, in-person support groups. Mm-hmm. It's like you can find great online communities, but, like, when you interact with someone in person, it's such a different connection. And to know someone who lives near you, who you mm-hmm. can, like, hang out with, it's really cool. And we all relate. Like, mm-hmm. here I am at Rare Disease Week, and I, I go meet somebody with something completely different. Uh, it's like an instant connection, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah. like Anna uh, and me, like our illnesses are not even related in yeah. any way, yet like we don't even have to talk about them and yeah. we just like connect and laugh and because um, you get the other person in that way, like you've experienced a lot of similar struggles, even if like your medical tests don't look the same, you've struggled with mm-hmm. social relationships, going to school, other people our age not being mature in the same way, or mm-hmm. not recognizing that you're sick even though you look okay, mm-hmm. um, or if you do have a visible aid, like when I was in a wheelchair, people like, you're too young to be sick, like, yeah. it's just people understand more in this community. Mm-hmm. I like to say, <laughs> I like to say that people understand that they can't understand. Yeah. Is that like, I see someone with an illness and while we have some similar experiences, I can recognize that I could never understand what they mm-hmm. go through because we're different people and we have different symptoms. Even within the same disease, everything's mm-hmm. different. That's why I made it chronic illness. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Before I let you go, um, I usually close with two questions. Um, One is where can people find um, advocacy work you're doing, like the chronic illness support group, like Mm -hmm. websites or social media handles. Um, And the other is if you are going to leave uh, last words with the listeners who either have rare diseases or are interested in rare diseases, what would you tell them? Okay, so I live in the Bay Area. So our chronic illness support group, meets in Pleasanton, California, Mm -hmm. so it's East Bay Area for all the California people. Um, My social media on Facebook and Instagram is at chronicallyawesome1, and my Twitter is at WhitneyWarriors, and you can always 
DM me or um, whatever if you want to come to the support group uh, or need more information. Or if you just want to talk online, um, you know, I'm, I love helping give people information on stuff because mm-hmm. pretty much I feel like everyone I've met has been in, in an undiagnosed phase where there's just no validation and you're not listened to. And I was there. I had symptoms for 12 years before I was diagnosed with the rare disease. And um, so, I mean, giving medical advice is not suggested online, but I'm like, go get this test and this test because this test helped me get a diagnosis. I would probably tell people in the rare disease community to believe themselves. Mm -hmm. I was told so many times that I don't look sick. And while people think it's a compliment, I think that subconsciously I heard that so many times that I noticed myself having symptoms and then thinking, well, it's not as bad as I think it is. Like, it can't be that bad because I don't look sick and Mm -hmm. everyone thinks I don't look sick so I must not be sick and I didn't realize that it's like subliminal messaging or something (laughs) Um, that you know your body the best and you believe yourself and it's the undiagnosed phase is brutal so I would tell people to believe themselves and trust in that trust themselves and their bodies and their feelings because they matter and to fight for those and to not give up and if you're not getting answers in where you're at to go a different route find somebody who's been there who can help you navigate that terrain better Mm -hmm. to get a diagnosis to help you find a doctor to help you get to a testing facility to help you with resources like support groups um someone who has been there done that Um, it's also helpful to talk to someone in the same place as you but finding someone who has walked through it already and is on the other side is um super important i think thank you Thanks for being on our podcast. We really appreciate it. Thank you. I'm glad you asked.